So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Spirituality Patreon bonus sample. Hello, everybody. Welcome to part two of our emergency Patreon series <laughs> here on Conspirituality Podcast, where, as you may know, we investigate the intersection of conspiracy theories and spiritual influence to uncover cults, pseudoscience, and authoritarian extremism. My name is Julian Walker. I am Matthew Remsky, and we are back for the second part of our discussion of the full frontal New Age assault on the Democratic primaries. So this is part two of Conspirituality Marches Towards the White House, or we could call it A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Our Pub Date, or we could call it How We Wrote a Book, and it was so accurate and well-sourced that Steve Bannon felt it fed a digital arc into a large language model to produce AIs of all the characters in it so he could play them like pieces across the 2024 electoral map. Oh, you've been pilled. Yeah. <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> Last time we offered another brief scan of Mother Marianne's background and technique. And then we went a little deeper into RFK Jr.'s COVID career and the anti-vax sort of legacy that is behind that for him, uh, as well as some of his many psychological drivers. Now, zooming out I have been thinking about this, and it feels like the upshot is that we are seeing a routinization of charisma, like taking it right back to Max Weber, that there's a transition process that we're witnessing from just straight out, unregulated, Wild West charismatic leadership to institutionalized policymaking. And it's kind of incredible to watch happen. And it's made me wonder whether what the neoliberal order actually requires, especially at this point in a history of like chronic failures uh, in providing the freedom that it promises to gig workers, uh, is that it must be spiritualized, like on some kind of mass scale. Now, I've said for years that Yoga is the de facto religion of neoliberalism um, because it focuses upon your individual flow state and how resilient you can be in the midst of your trials and tribulations. And let's let's also just be really clear there that you're saying yoga in the West. Yes, yeah, Yeah. globalized, modern, modern postural yoga in the global North as a global product is the de facto religion of neoliberalism. 
But what happens when the general order gets generally shittier, when wealth disparities grow, when tech surveillance is getting more intrusive, when nobody's really doing anything about the climate fast enough? I mean, neoliberalism has always been about moral bypassing, always about assigning systemic failures to the individual. But maybe that's just not enough at this point. Maybe it's transparently thin. And that now it has to be about spiritual bypassing. So I don't know, maybe this is the spiritual bypassing stage of neoliberalism, where we have major democratic primary candidates who basically, that's what they're doing. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's the role they're playing. Yeah. Today... We're going to round up our triumvirate coverage by looking at our very own New Age Q, the aphorism-dropping poet of a new story of communion named Charles Eisenstein. Why are we looking at Eisenstein? Well, as we pinged briefly at the top of part one, on May 15th, Eisenstein published an announcement for his Substack subscribers under the title a major life change in which he announced his affiliation with RFK Jr.'s campaign. Now, he didn't explicitly say in the article that he had an official role, but his wife, Stella Eisenstein, responded to a query in the comment section saying that Charles was the campaign's director of messaging. So let's look first at that announcement. Julian, can you read the opening? Hi, everyone. I'd like to tell you why. I haven't posted much over the last month and what it means for the future. It all started a couple months ago with a quote-unquote coincidence. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. knew my work vaguely before then as a fellow COVID dissident and environmentalist, but that had little to do with this coincidence. One of my readers won a fundraising raffle for a quote-unquote day of falconry with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., she was allowed to take a guest, and so she invited me. All right, so the first thing we have to note is that Eisenstein has coincidence in quotes, I think implying destiny. So he's going to imply a little more about that in a bit. Um, and we posted this on Instagram, and folks were surprised by the falconry bit, but it is true that Bobby is a master, master falconer from youth. He's a licensed gameskeeper, as we mentioned. I'm still sorting out where all of these activities place take place because the Kennedy empire is like one huge estate after another. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if he's doing that in Malibu with Cheryl Hines um, at his side, or if it's more <laughs> of like a, you know, Northeast Kingdom, East Coast thing. But basically the vibe is upscale blue blood Tiger King. And it's funny because in our last uh, installment of these emergency bonus episodes, um, I mentioned the the Yates quote about, um, you know, the things fall apart, the center will not hold, what, right. what strange beast slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. The falcon can, cannot hear the falconeer. And I, I didn't even realize how apt that was. <laughs> right. Um, just, just as a nerdy moment of, of literary reference. Uh, here's Charles Eisenstein. I have no interest in falconry. But since I'd always admired Kennedy, I accepted the offer. There were a lot of people there, at least 15, including me and my son, Carrie. At lunch, one of them was declaiming at length on some topic. I was just listening. But then Mr. Kennedy turned to me and said, Charles, what do you think? 
Oh, a moment of glory. So yes, you can hear the harps. That is what began the relationship. Soon we were in frequent communication. I attended a pre-launch meeting with him and other close advisors where I presented my ideas on strategy and message. I was deeply moved by their receptivity. I'd never expected my thinking to strike a chord with a major political campaign, at least not in my lifetime. One of the main areas of resonance was around the theme of reconciliation, unity, and healing the divide. As I've said many times in these pages, polarization and division is at the core of our current crisis. With coherence, we can rise to meet any challenge. I think we should repeat that word because it just sounds so good. Coherence. Coherence. coherence right. Without it, even marginal changes are impossible to accomplish. The meta-narrative shared by both sides that the problem is those horrible people on the other side is itself the real problem. The kind of leader we need today is not one who settles into one camp to wage war on the other, but one who can see the potential for unity behind the divisions. It is someone who can tap into shared moral values and universal human aspirations. Okay, so is this the populism that you're talking about, Julianne? I mean, look, first of all, let me just say the message of most every candidate on their way to the nomination is more polarizing and more definitive. Right. Uh, it has to be to set them apart from the other candidates. They're going to fight for you. They're going to set Washington straight. They're going to bring bold, common sense solutions for real people to the table. They're going to make a stand for what's right against their opponents who have lost their moral compass. So yes, this is the populism I'm talking about. But then during the general election, most candidates have to tone that down a little, talk about being a uniter and not a divider. This is George W. Bush <laughs> reaching right. across the aisle. This is Barack Obama being pragmatic and inclusive, governing on behalf of all Americans. Hello, Joe Biden. Not just Democrats or Republicans, because we all have skin in the game and a shared sense of human decency and patriotism, blah, blah, blah. It's total boilerplate. Right. The thing about someone like Charlie is that he thinks that his particular new age spin <laughs> on this is like somehow uniquely visionary. You hear him kind of implying that it's ahead of its time. Like at least not, I wouldn't think my ideas would like appeal to a political campaign in my lifetime. <laughs> so right. visionary, but it's total fucking pablum. Yeah. That whole, we can win politics by transcending politics shtick. It's just naive and it's empty of content. Like, what does it mean to win by transcending winning and losing? There's no such thing as an actual political platform that doesn't disagree in foundational ways with anyone. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need politics if, if, if it wasn't about, you know, discuss. This is at the heart of democracy. Right. Is, is like figuring out where we disagree and why we think our uh, solutions to certain problems are better than our opponents. Even right. this idea of tapping into shared moral values and universal human aspirations, it is itself a cosmopolitan stance that exists in contrast to all of the reasons that people on the left and right say that the other side has betrayed moral values and is trampling human aspirations. I mean, in politics, as in philosophy, the devil is in the details. And Eisenstein's sort of know-nothing version of non-dual inclusiveness is to me a kind of thin patina on an even thinner analysis, which is it's kind of ironic because... You know, 
Matthew, both Eisenstein and his new boss have openly called for the supposed pro-vax and quarantine villains of the pandemic to be punished. And Charles has even repeated Q-adjacent um, ideas that tie Fauci and Gates to the pedophile cabal. And he's sort of fantasized. He's, he's been open in, in a public talk once about how he'd love to sort of, um, t- you know, tower over them as they groveled and begged for forgiveness. And he sort of danced on their graves or something. Yeah, that's the New Year's Eve party in Albany, New York for either 2021 or 2022. I can't remember yeah, which and, New and Year's to, Eve, right? And to yeah. be clear, he's saying we shouldn't be like that, but he still yeah. sort of indulges the fantasy and everyone right. sort of laughs. Um, but in terms of the populism, I think that there are some notes being hit here, like the, the noble and heroic outsider whose unifying vision goes beyond business as usual. The problem is that American politics has been deploying these sorts of old marketing tropes about new candidates for decades on both sides. 